one guest, 10 songs, 10 reasons. Music was my first love on Radio Glamorgan. My very special guest on this edition of Music Was My First Love is a Welsh broadcaster, radio presenter, TV producer and director. His career started in 1974, working for three years as a freelance producer and presenter for Swansea Sound. During a career of almost 40 years and counting, he's been heard on radios 2, 4 and Wales, as well as various TV work, in particular with annual coverage of the Royal Welsh Show. I'm talking about Richard Rees, who we'll hear from after his first choice from Queen. I see a little silhouette of a man Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the bandango? Thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening me Galileo, Galileo, Galileo Figaro Magnifico! I'm just a poor boy, nobody loves me What a Richard Rees, welcome to Radio Glamorgan's Music Was My First Love. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks very much. Good to be here. Tell me about your first choice, an absolute classic from Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. Well, it takes me back to commercial radio days at Swansea Sound, and uh, that was a time when record companies had the resources and the cash to promote their artists very well. And um, I was asked to uh, go up to Cardiff to interview Queen uh, when they were on, uh, on tour. And they just released that album, Bohemian Rhapsody, and uh, I had a, a really, really nice conversation with uh, Brian May and Roger Taylor from Queen, and uh, discovered, of course, that uh, they were doing a lot of their work in Rockfield Studios, which wasn't that far down the road in no. uh, by uh, Monmouth. There, you know, so it was it was a very interesting chat, and uh, one of the many um, uh, uh, live, well, not live interviews, but interviews I was fortunate to do uh, for Swansea Sound. Have you uh, always been a music lover? Yes, um, ever since I can remember, really, uh, it was. Uh, I think it started with the Beatles, to be honest, uh, which would have been uh, the early sixties. I mean, I, I was probably nineteen sixty-three. I would have been about seven, eight years old, and uh, even though you probably didn't realise the full significance of what was happening uh, with the Beatles, the music still sort of dragged you in, you know, yeah. and, and uh, it sort of carried on from there, really. And where, we'll talk more about this in detail later, but where did the interest in media come from? Um, well, I think that was music-related initially as well. Uh, I, when I was in school, I was, about, when I was about 15 years old, I started doing discos for, for schools and for weddings and all this sort of thing. Mm. Um, and it sort of developed from there that hospital radio was the key factor because... Uh, I was invited to take part or, uh, or to use my equipment actually for the first ever broadcast of uh, hospital radio in Glanguilly Hospital in West Wales. Right. And um, as a result of that, I was given a, a, a weekly show uh, on Radio Glanguilly and uh, it all sort of developed from there. I mean, the, the significance of that for me was um, ever since uh, I was a child, I've always had a stammer. Right, and it was in do, doing hospital radio that I discovered, for some strange reason, that if you stick me in front of a microphone or a camera, I don't stammer. Um, so it was hospital radio that opened up that door for me, if you like, yeah. because uh, if it hadn't been for that, probably uh, most people, I, I would have assumed that it, that it wouldn't really have been possible. And who were the broadcasters that you were listening to and were inspiring you? Oh, in those days, it was largely Radio One, so it would have been. Uh, Johnny Walker, yeah. uh, Johnny Walker particularly, actually, um, Kid Jensen, 
Um, Tony Blackburn was 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 there. Uh, I can't say he was one of my major sort of influences, but, but he was there. <laughs> um, and uh, John Peel, of course, who I had the pleasure of working with later on in life. Um, so I mean that, that those, those were the main uh, Radio One sort of disc jockeys at that time. And it says um, a lot that two of those names. You, I mean, sadly, one is dead and one is not in the best of health. But two of those that you mentioned are still broadcasting today. Well, yes, that's right, and I, th I think uh, I think that says uh, a lot ab ab about them and, and their passion, really, because mm. I, I think that's what it boils down to. You get you get caught out fairly quickly uh, if you're trying to con people into sort of believing that you have an interest, whereas if you have a genuine passion, it, it shows and it lasts. Tell me about your second choice from Paul McCartney's second incarnation with Wings. Well, this uh, this sort of goes back to uh, commercial radio again with Swansea Sound, and um, it's it sort of. Uh, significant of the sort of thing that used to happen. I was sitting in the office there uh, one afternoon, it was in 1975, I was, what was I, 19 years old, and um, the phone rang and one of the other uh, producers there took the call and then said to me, are you free this afternoon? So I said, yeah, okay, why? Uh, or go up to Car Cardiff and interview Paul McCartney. Um, now there was no warning, there, there was no preparation time, there was no Google. I mean, I knew who McCartney was, I, I, you know, so I got there and uh, the first thing I was told was, fine, uh, you've got all access, but no questions about the Beatles, right? Because yeah. he, was, he was promoting Paul McCartney in Wings and he didn't want to drag up the whole Beatles story again. So, I mean, that, that sort of threw, threw me a bit because <laughs> that, uh, that was what I knew about yeah. Paul McCartney mainly was, was, <laughs> was the Beatles. But I have to say, and um, uh, I, I've, I've said this before, and it's, it's very, very true, he was fantastic to me. Uh, I mean, he, he got confronted by this sort of 19-year-old kid um, who'd been literally thrown in at the deep end. He spent well, well over an hour in my company um, we had a long conversation, an interview and a long conversation about all sorts of things. Uh, he invited me to stay on and watch the concert. We had a chat afterwards. Uh, I mean, he was, he was absolutely incredible. And uh, my respect for him is, has, has been immense ever since, really. How did your affiliation with Swansea Sound come about? Because you helped launch the station, didn't you? I was there at the beginning. Uh, it, was, um, it, it was it was largely through the Welsh language side of things because uh, the um, Welsh language uh, producer at the station was looking for uh, people to present and was aware of my connection with Hospital Radio. Um, and so uh, I got a phone call one day asking me to go in and have a chat um, to see you know whether we could work something out. So I went along, and initially uh, I, I was there to do the Welsh language stuff, but that expanded fairly quickly, really, and I ended up doing, um, I was, you know, standing in for people and doing my own two shows in English on the weekends as well, and then um, the nightly Welsh language ones too. And did you learn a lot there during your time? Oh yes, I mean that was that was an invaluable experience working with some uh, really experienced professional people. I mean, I can remember now there was Chris Harper. Um, there was Crispian St. John, who'd been with Radio Caroline and Radio Luxembourg, I think, uh, before he came to us. Um, he was later replaced by Dave Bowen. There was um, Adri um, uh, Adrian, can't remember his second name at the moment. 
uh, Viv Evans, Doreen Jenkins. I mean, uh, a lot of them were people with a lot of broadcasting experience and uh, initially just actually watching these people working and uh, teaching yourself uh, as you went along. Adrian Jay was his name. Right, well done. Um, <laughs> and uh, he, he, he went on from Swansea South to work in Bristol and all sorts of places. But just seeing the technical ability of these guys and just sort of picking up what they could do and the way that they did things uh, was a, 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 a real good learning experience. You also, of course, with commercial radio, had to do everything yourself. So you had to do the paperwork, you had to tell you the studio afterwards, you had to choose your own music, you had to log all the music. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, that in, in later years, that gave you a, a really good insight into what you were asking other people to do yeah. as well. And then three years later, you joined the BBC, and of course, pre-satellite TV and all the other channels, I get, guess back then that was the place to be, wasn't it? Well, I mean, I, what, I, what I've said in the past was it was a bit like getting an international cap, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, working for commercial radio, for local, local radio, was uh, sort of joining the Premier League, you know. Yeah. Um, but then when you got to BBC Wales uh, on a national level, I mean, that, that was the international cap for me. You know, that was the equivalent. Yeah. And um, I, was very, I, I was very, very lucky because I, I started broadcasting straight away in both languages, in English and Welsh. I then took on a job as a TV announcer as well. Um, and uh, over the years, that led through to being a director and a producer and so on and so forth. Yeah. Now, Richard, I'm Cardiff born and bred. Uh, my yes. father was born in Cardiff. My mother was an East End girl who embraced <laughs> Wales, especially the rugby. However, none of us, uh, including me, speak Welsh at all. So okay. your third choice from Edward H. Daffis is in English, Spirit of the Night, but you'll have to it tell is. me what it is in Welsh. Uh, okay, it's Esprit de Nos um, by Edward H. Daffis, a band, one of the most influential Welsh language bands, I think, formed in 1973. They went on to play till about 1980, and they took on very much a sort of rock and roll feel to them and changed the way... Uh, people saw Welsh language pop music, Welsh language contemporary music. Um, they they had a massive effect. They, this isn't actually a rock and roll track. This is a, a this has become a classic. Really, it's a beautiful track uh, written by a friend of mine called Clive Harpwood, and um, it's a reflection on spending a night on a beach near Llangeranog in West Wales, and uh, the, the the sort of atmosphere and the effect of that night is is what led him to write the song. <laughs> In 1980, Richard, you started specialising in science and nature programmes. Had, had that subject been a long-held interest for you? Oh, yes. Uh, ever since childhood, really. Um, the, the natural world uh, has been very important to me, largely, I think, um, through my father. I think it was my father who sort of inspired it in the early days, uh, taking me out to see owls at night and talking about foxes and... Uh, showing me all sorts of things in the garden and so on, so on and so forth. So the seeds were sown then, I think. And mm. um, I uh, eventually ended up doing a degree in uh, animal physiology and biochemistry, um, which, which, which enabled me to take the interest a lot further. Um, but no, certainly, I mean, that, that interest has always been there since the beginning, really. 
And then another um, interesting and different subject, uh, where in 1984 you presented a four-part Radio 4 series entitled The Where Death Delights, talking about <laughs> forensic science and pathology, which was highly recommended, um, sorry, highly commended at the prestigious Sony Radio Awards, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was, um, I, I, um, I got to know uh, a, a wonderful man, um, the uh, professor of forensic pathology at C C Cardiff University and the forensic pathologist for uh, the Southwest and South Wales, Professor Bernard Knight. And um, Bernard and I actually found that we got on very, very well. We became very, very good friends. And um, we did, uh, in fact, later on in the 90s, I made a TV series with him called Expert Witness uh, for BBC Wales. But um, Where Death Delights was the, f uh, the first sort of joint venture together for Radio 4. And um, I think it proved quite interesting. I think with, uh, quite, a, quite a few people found it um, uh, I, I, sort of uh, strangely interesting, I guess, <laughs> to some people. But um, it was it was uh, commended for a Sony Award, and uh, it uh, it worked quite well. It was uh, the title "Where Death Delights" is taken from um, an inscription above the main door of the New York Coroner's Office, uh, where it says where where the inscription says, um, "Let laughter cease, let conversation stop. This is the place where death delights to help the living." Oh wow. <laughs> Yeah, but, so but, that's the inscription. And programmes like that now are all over the place, aren't they? On yeah, With so many so. channels. Uh, let's talk about your fourth choice, uh, which is a classic from Nielsen, without you. Yeah, well, a classic from 1972. Uh, it's there um, largely because I loved it. Um, I loved it so much that I, even though I can't read music, and I'm not a musician, it's the only thing I've ever learned to play on the piano. <laughs> and, uh, of course, it was written by uh, a gentleman from Swansea called Pete Hamm, um, uh, who was um, uh, who was a member of a band then? Who was actually produced um, by Paul McCartney? Yeah. And unfortunately, Pete Ham never actually didn't actually live long enough to realise the success uh, of uh, of this song that he'd written, uh, which Nielsen, of course, took then to the top of the charts for several weeks. So uh, you know that's that's the story of without you, really. No, I can't forget tomorrow. When I think of all my sorrow And I had you there But then I let you go Your next choice, Richard, is from Scottish band Renrig and something very different from the majority of your choices. Tell me about Clash of the Ash. <laughs> yes. Uh, or just to refer back, by the way, without you there, um, uh, the, the band was Badfinger, the band that uh, Pete Ham belonged to in Swansea. Right. And, uh, I, even though that's been done by a number of people since, I think that is the classic version of yeah. the song without you. Anyway, um, right, Clash of the Ash by Rundig. I, I, I spend quite a lot of time in Scotland. Um, I love Scotland dearly, and uh, I spend a lot of time there with work as well, f um, you know, filming uh, wildlife. Um, because uh, it has, uh, Scotland has a fantastic variety um, of w w wildlife and it's a love that's been inherited by my daughter um, a love of Scotland and a love of the band Run Rig um, who we are both big fans of uh, I've seen, well, we've both seen Run Rig perform live three or four times I think and um, Clash of the Ash is uh, one of the songs by Run Rig that we both love and uh, we both react to in the same way every every time we hear it. 
um, with a quick sort of drumming of the hands on the steering wheel every, every time it comes on the radio, you know. Brilliant. So uh, with with my daughter Fionn in mind and her love of run rig, uh, this is Clash Clash of the Ash. You're listening to another edition of Radio Glamorgan's Music Was My First Love with broadcaster Richard Rees choosing 10 of his favourite tracks. That's a track called uh, Estien de Lau. It's uh, performed there by Ellen Achilleri, who were very popular on Welsh television through the 80s and the 90s. Um, it's included uh, especially because Ellen is my wife. And oh, okay. It was uh, Ellen who wrote that song, Estien de Lau. Um, and they, they, they were very, very popular in, in, indeed. I mean, they still do perform uh, um, sort of occasionally here and there. Mm. But uh, back in the 80s and 90s, um, they, they were sort of uh, quite the stars of, uh, of S4C and uh, so on, yeah, Elena Kaleri. Uh Richard, as we record this programme, uh, what, midway through July 2021, uh, we're a yep. week away from the first test between the Lions and the Springboks. I won't ask you for any predictions, because when this programme goes out, you might have egg on your face. So yep. tell me about the Lions Tour documentary you made for the BBC. Well, it wasn't actually a documentary. It was, it was the Lions Tour of 1977. And uh, the head of Radio Wales at that time was an inspirational lady called Tuleri Bevan. And uh, Tuleri had decided that um, BBC Wales, because uh, Radio Wales hadn't actually started then, so it was BBC Wales as it was, um, should cover the um, Lions Tour live. Now, uh, because they were in New Zealand, the, the, the play didn't start until about half past three in the morning um, at uh, mm. our time. And so somebody had to fill in between sort of half past 11 at night and half past three in the morning. So Tuleri came to an arrangement with Radio 2 that um, Terry Wogan and I um, would uh, present this show called Waiting for the Lions. Um, he was mainly on Radio 2, I was mainly on Radio Wales, uh, or BBC Wales as it was then. And um, we would do interviews and play music and uh, talk with past players and interview players' wives and so on and so forth. And we would take everything right up to the start of the commentary, which would be live then from New Zealand. I think there were, there were probably four or five programmes in all. There were four tests, but I think there may have been five programmes, yeah. And what was he like to work with? Because that was very much the early stage of his career, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, I can't say I actually worked with him that much. I mean, he, he, he was in the studio in London. I was in the studio in Cardiff. So, I mean, there was a certain amount of, 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 of sort of back and forth banter yeah. sort of thing, you know. Uh, but that was a long and short, short of it, really. Um, but uh, I, think, uh, I think the programmes were very successful. And I, what, what was great for me was that I got to know... Well, initially, I got to know the players' wives because I was interviewing them on a weekly basis. Um, with the result that when the players came back, I got invited to all the parties and everything else. <laughs> um, so I, I actually got to know the 77 Lions players very well as well, which was great. And in those days, rugby players knew how to party. Oh, absolutely. So, and, 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 and so did their wives, Andrew. <laughs> so did their wives, yeah. Uh, between 
85 and 89, uh, you produced a series of medical programmes for BBC Radio, uh, bringing updates to the audience about medical developments. I guess in your work, both in front of and behind the camera and microphone, it helps to be in a position uh, to want to cover a, a wide range of subjects. Uh, yes, it does. Um, but having said that, I, th I think it, there have to be subjects that you have um, a real interest in and a feeling for. Mm. Um, I mean, like, like, like I said before, I think you get found out fairly quickly yeah. um, if you're just sitting there reading the paper, if you know what I mean, if you're just reading the script. Mm. I think, uh, especially when it comes to doing in interviews with people about medical conditions or uh, about um, uh, not being healthy and so, 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 so on and so forth, you know, you, you have to have... Um, that genuine connection with people or they don't open up to you and, and, and the interviews don't work. So I, mean, I, I think like with everything else, uh, I'm a great believer in that whatever you're going to do, you know, you really do have to believe in it and you've got to be passionate about it and that, that's what's going to make it work and that's what's going to make it succeed. Yeah, and I guess, um, certainly from my experience when I record this series and when I research this series, is that if you don't know the subject, yes, you've got a list of questions, yes, the person you're interviewing will answer, but you, he may answer something that you might want to suddenly, oh, I might ask this about that. If you don't understand the subject, you won't be able to, and it literally I, becomes yeah. a script, doesn't it? Ex uh, that, that's exactly right. I mean, there's two big faults with things like this. Um, often you hear people who interview who don't actually listen to the answers. Mm. So very often you'll find somebody will answer a question and maybe answer two questions in one answer, but the interviewer might have missed it because they weren't listening or they weren't paying yeah. attention or whatever. And the other thing is, of course, as you so rightly say, you know, if somebody picks up on something um, that uh, may may not be in your research notes or whatever, but uh, if you know about it, and, and you should know about it really, then you can expand the conversation and expand the interview and yeah. as a result it becomes a lot more interesting. After that, you started... Now, this was a question I wanted to ask you about directing. You started uh, directing programmes such as Farming in Wales. Mm -hmm. What is the role of a director on current affairs? Because it's, it's obviously different to directing a drama. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, um, when you direct current affairs, uh, it, you know, the, the basics are the same. You have to know what the story is. Um, and the director's job is to portray that story visually uh, in the best possible way that you can. I mean, the, the difference with current affairs or, um, or sort of factual programmes and drama is that, of course, in drama, you have complete control. Uh, you're paying the actors, you've booked the locations, you've got all your positions marked, the actors know where they're going to go, where they're going to stand, what they're going to say, mm -hmm. etc. With factual and with, with current affairs and documentary, you don't. You know, you, can, um, you have less control in that sense. Um, but, you know, you have to make sure that... that you get the best out of your contributors and you have to get the best out of the locations that you have and so on and so forth. But um, it's the basics is the same. Whatever the story is, you have to know what that story is. You have to understand that story yeah. and you have to work out how visually you're going to make it work. Next up, Richard, your seventh choice uh, from somebody that I refer to as a breath of fresh air, whether he's singing, whether he's being interviewed, uh, the ever popular Michael Bublé. Why this particular track? Absolutely, Breath of Fresh Air. I saw him perform live in London about three or four years ago and he was absolutely amazing. Um, uh, why this track? Because I've spent a lot of time travelling abroad, <laughs> filming um, wildlife particularly, also travel programmes and that sort of thing. And I mean, you know, you can easily be away for 10, 12 weeks at a time. 
And uh, I think in one year I was away for ten or twelve weeks, four times in the same year, you know. And when you have a family, uh, I mean, my daughter at that stage would have been about I don't know twelve, thirteen years old. It's difficult, and uh, there are times when you're away. Uh, you think, even though you're in the most fantastic places, the locations are amazing. The wildlife you're watching is a is is, a, is absolutely incredible. It's a privilege to be there. You're lucky to be there, and so on. But Occasionally, you just think, "Oh God, I wish I was home." Another airplane, another sunny place. I'm lucky, I know, but I wanna go home. I got to go home. Let me go home. A lot of people listening to this, Richard, will know you as the voice of S4C's coverage of the Royal Welsh Show. Um, and after 117 years, I mean, to say that's become an institution is a massive understatement. No, I was just going to say, I haven't actually been there for the 117 years. No, 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 But it feels like that sometimes. Um, it, you know, I mean, it is, it is a real institution, and it's a very important part of Welsh life, I think. There's, um, I mean, if, if, if you look at Wales sometimes, you, you, can, you, can, uh, you can see that Wales can actually be quite divided in several ways. You know, mm. there's north, south, east, west, there's... Uh, Welsh speakers, non-Welsh speakers, um, there's sort of cultural differences. But I think that that festival uh, every year brings everybody together. Town, country, north, south, east, west, Welsh, non-Welsh speaker, it doesn't matter who you are. Mm. That festival achieves something that I don't think any other festival does. And uh, I th I, to be honest, I think that's why it's so important. You know, there are, there are various other festivals that are aimed at uh, particular interest groups, you know, there's the Estetsdadford, yeah. which is, which is um, great for the sort of more culturally inclined uh, Welsh speakers and so on and so forth. There's the, uh, the uh, other music festivals and, and so on. But th that's, uh, the Royal Welsh to me uh, excels because it it's really is the only one that, that brings everybody together. In English, uh, it's called No Boundaries, so tell me about your next choice. Well, yeah, this, this is um, a fellow called May Gwyneth, who I, I think is, a, is an extremely talented musician. Um, I, I chose the song, A, because I, I, I like May and I like uh, the work that he does. Uh, the title, uh, Dim Finia, No Boundaries, um, he wrote at a time when uh, politics uh, in this country and in the States was putting up a lot of boundaries. Um, people were becoming entrenched on either side of those boundaries. And I think this is a, a song that... Uh, is an appeal, really, um, for people to forget about the boundaries, maybe build bridges, and uh, let's get back on track a bit, you know. In 2005, uh, you were invited back to broadcast on BBC Radio Cymru. Did you find, Richard, that you still enjoyed the radio medium? Oh, very much so. I think um, people ask me some, some, sometimes, which do I prefer, uh, radio or television? It's a very difficult question to answer. I think radio uh, will always have a place in my heart because that's where I started. Uh, I, I'm still doing it. I'm still there every Saturday morning. And, and it's a medium that I really love because it's so direct. You know, there's... Mm. there's I think you find with te television, um, you can sometimes find that there's a lot of technical stuff that gets between you and your subject. There's a camera, there's a microphone, there's yeah. lights, there's so on and so forth. With radio, 
it's just you and the other person. And, um, you know, you get invited into people's homes on a daily basis, which is fantastic. And you, you can build up a rapport and a friendship with the audience, which I don't think is, is possible, or at least far no. more difficult to do with yeah. television. Yeah. And, of course, you don't have to shave on radio. That helps. <laughs> that helps a lot. Yeah. <laughs> tell me, particularly when you're on early in the morning, tell yeah. me about your penultimate choice, Richard, from the delightful Ellie Goulding. Well, I, this, is, this takes me back to my natural history um, work, and uh, I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to work um, all over the world doing natural history uh, programs. And it's when you do work in places like the Arctic, the Antarctic, um, Canada, and so on and so forth, you start to realize what is actually happening around the world and the effect that it's having. And um, I think the Attenborough films, I've, I've been very fortunate enough, I've, I've, I've met, it, met uh, David Attenborough on several occasions, and I think the message that comes out of his films about both crises that are going on at the moment, at the moment both the climate crisis um, and also, just as importantly, the biodiversity crisis, which is going on right around the world, are things that w need to be addressed, but need to be addressed globally. You know, there's mm. no point just sort of doing it uh, in one country when um, it's affecting every country. So, um, with this series, uh, it was it was a bit of a departure because normally with the uh, Attenborough films, they get uh, a musician, Hans Zimmer, or somebody just to compose these fantastic soundtracks. But they made a decision with this one to involve Ellie Goulding, um, and uh, she wrote uh, she she wrote this song with uh, the composer, um, whose name abates me now. I think it's Stephen Steve, Stephen Morris. Stephen yes. Morris. Yeah. Um, and they came up with this song from the Our Planets series in this together. Is it really over? The echoes just seem to get longer. How do we get here? There was so much love in us. Your final choice, Richard, on this edition of Music Was My First Love is from one of the greatest songwriters of our generation, Paul Simon, with one of his best, certainly from his solo catalogue, and that's still crazy after all these years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I go back to the days of Simon R. Garfunkel back in the late 60s, and I was a big fan then from Bridge Over Troubled Waters on. Uh, but of course, as you mentioned, his solo catalogue as well, Paul Simon's solo catalogue is fantastic. I saw him perform live, actually, at the Albert Hall in London years ago. Um, and and uh, I think he, the, the messages in his songs are great, but I think with this one, uh, I think it just sort of sums up age. <laughs> um, it's called Still Crazy After All These Years. I, think I, I, I re really feel like that. You know? <laughs> um, it, it's, I, I think as you get older, people uh, are supposed to get wiser and uh, are, are supposed to have some sort of... Uh, deeper understanding of things, but uh, things change so fast and things change mm -hmm. um, so constantly that uh, I mean, my only reaction to it all uh, at the ripe old age of sixty-six is actually, hang on, still crazy after all these years. Yeah. Is the best way to put it, I think. Yeah. And and you may have, have partly answered the next question. When you look back over a long and full career in TV and radio, is there is there one thing that stands out that you're most proud of? Is it that you're still sane? <laughs> uh, well, this, you, you could discuss that for a long time. Um, I think, no, I, I think I think yeah. I mean, there are there, there are things I'm quite proud of. Uh, there was the television series with Bernard Knight, Expert Witness, uh, which was the last documentary series I, I made on staff for BBC Wales. Uh, I was very proud of that. 
Um, the stuff we've done with Telescope t uh, TV, that my, that's the company that my wife formed, uh, things like the Royal Wild Show and so on and so forth, uh, um, they, they are ongoing. Um, and hopefully, I, 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 ho I hope that some of the wildlife stuff that I've made um, has made a bit of a difference somewhere, you know. Uh, I, I, and and um, as I say, the love for radio as well. So all, all of that, I can't single anything out, no. really, Andrew, to be honest. Um, because I've been privileged, I really have been privileged. It's been an honour, and uh, it's uh, it's been a, a, a fantastic journey that I never would have thought would have been possible. And it's been an honour going on that journey with you for the last hour, Richard Reese. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks very much. You've been listening to Music Was My First Love on Radio Glamorgan, where Welsh broadcaster Richard Rees has been choosing ten of his favourite songs. I'm Andrew Wolfe, and join me again soon when someone else chooses ten of their favourite tracks on another edition of Music Was My First Love. Music of the future